I lost my teacup, so I apologize. Hi, Joshua, and welcome, Jenny. I'm sorry we lost Rudy. Maybe he'll be right back, but we're going to get started on introductions here in just a moment because I do want to get started. I don't want to be taking too much advantage of Jenny's time. How are you doing this morning, Jenny? Good. Go find your teacup. Don't want to do it. Oh, no, I found it. No, I found it. (laughs) We're good. I found it. Thank you. Um, So if you are here because of the description, thank you for being here. If you're here because you follow crowdsourcing the revolution, thank you for being here. If you're here because you follow Jenny, thank you for being here. And I'm going to let Jenny introduce herself. And we're going to talk today about the stories of the ERA because there are some... um, things that are cross-cultural within the United States. And I think that um, uh, Jenny has some interesting perspectives that I think have informed my takes on some things recently. So um, I will welcome calls during the this call-in show. And I appreciate Jenny's patience since she's a professional podcaster and I am just a newbie so <laughs> uh, i think professional implies that you've been paid and, oh uh, okay and okay I have, I have never been paid for my podcasting so let's just say i'm a hobbyist who loves to chat a hobbyist who loves to chat that's fair but you you have more experience than i do professionally talking on a microphone how's that or not well, professionally talking on a microphone about I specific have- topics I have been trained in musical theater. I'm very comfortable using my words with storytelling and podcasting. So, Well, why don't you introduce yourself, Jenny? Thank you. 
Well, first, let me thank you, Amanda, your big heartedness and generosity and all of our interactions to this moment have been wonderful. And throughout my life, uh, whenever people learned about my passionate political views, they most often slowly started backing away and did not want to hear from me or engage. And so how wonderful to be invited on your show to talk about issues that are so important to me and really get to the truth of the matter rather than just flinging mud at each other or pretending like there's not something we need to discuss, you know, pretending right. it's all just in the past or, you know, who's talking about the ERA today? I mean, that's, that's supposedly a, a issue that was put to rest decades ago. And so here we are talking about it again, and it's very exciting. Awesome. So I'm going to just tell the story how I got here on the ERA. I was listening to um, a podcast, which is during the pandemic, how I started most of the conversations I had with other human beings. So I was listening to this podcast and I heard um, on the media, I had an interview with a woman named Kate Kelly, who's been working on women's issues and specifically the ERA since about 2015 or so. And her contention, she's a human rights attorney, and her contention is that the, all, all that's left to do is have the amendment actually published by the National Archivist. And we can get into some of the details about where, where we are today with the ERA. And we're going to, and, and I also want to get one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to Jenny, in addition to a previous show, we were getting into a good conversation, um, is that. Um, Jenny, how do you prefer, I, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't know what term you prefer to use for your faith. Well, we say we're members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Many people know us as Mormon. When I'm in new circles, I often say I'm LDS. All three oh. work for me. I'm not offended if anybody uses one of the three, but, um, yes, I'm a faithful member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay, so is is it okay if I use LDS for short? Yeah, or Mormon. I don't care. They're okay. trying to they're trying to stamp out Mormon. Yeah, that's people, what I kind of heard. So I'm trying to be sent. That's why I was asking. Yeah, but it, I don't get offended by it or anything. Okay, is it? Can I just let me be, let me be the person with one Mormon friend right now? It, 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 is there is there a feeling one way or the other generally? in that community about what word they prefer? Going forward, they definitely would prefer LDS or the longer term, but okay, um, it's just because there's a lot of confusion around uh, our people. And so people hear about like the, the RLDS, the reorganized church or the fundamentalist church, and they assume we're all just one big thing and we're not, you know, those are break off, mm. break off churches. So. Oh, I see. Over, so there's there've been over 300 groups that have broken off from our, our the first church, and so you know, there's a lot of confusion out there. Got it. Got it. Well, I, I I'm sure that we're not going to clear up the confusion all of it today, but this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because in in addition to being surprised that we actually are at a place where there are 38 states that have now ratified the ERA which is the number that are needed to have it be part of the Constitution. But the National Archivist has not actually published it. 
There is a court case in the D.C. Circuit Court on <clears throat> the date is September 28th, and they're going to the judge is going to decide whether or not a time frame that were a time limitation that was put on to the amendment back in the 1970s when it was first passed by Congress, whether that's actually something that needs to be um, recognized or not. So there's a few yeah, more I, I small look, hurdles. Go ahead. I look forward to those. I look forward to those decisions being made because yeah. the ERA passed. It passed back in the day. It just wasn't ratified by all the states. And so I think we need a definitive answer one way or the other. I'm all about equality of opportunity. I don't believe in equality of outcomes, but I'm all about equality. And I do think it would be a powerful thing to add this wonderful 28th Amendment to the Constitution. So I'm all for the ERA. Awesome. And this brings me to the second reason why I was interested to speak to you, because you do speak about your faith and and the kinds of things that 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 experience in life has brought you. And Kate Kelly is um, was a member of that faith and was excommunicated for her work trying to ordain women in that faith. Is that that's I got that right? Yes. Yeah, she was raised in the faith. She served a Mormon mission. She went to law school. She went to BYU, which is my alma mater. Um, she is someone who is incredibly passionate about equality. And I think she's making a difference in the world. And I respect her for all of the effort she's put out on behalf of women. I really do respect her. And part of looking into her because I didn't want to be going down a rabbit hole and then end up at a place where this is somebody who should be canceled because the where we are right now culturally. And in the process of doing that, I've listened to a number of interviews with her and she spoke about how in the 1970s, when the original 35 states were working on their ratifications, that some women were given missions to do stop ERA work. Is that, do you know anything about that? Absolutely. There's a woman named Belle, I think Spafford was her name or Stafford. Pretty prominent member of the church, outspoken. And uh, it was Phyllis Schlafly herself who reached out to her and said, we need to galvanize the Mormon people against the ERA because we think it's going to be passed. And so they really had kind of like a, from the pulpit, the leadership, the prophets and local leaders saying, okay, let's, let's go to work and make this thing stop, you know? And so uh, it worked. I mean, they absolutely stopped it. The, the trouble I have with so much of the history from that day is how much of a lack of free speech was involved on the part of the women. They were literally being silenced. The people who were for it were writing passionate articles to go into church magazines they were standing up publicly and talking to the press, and uh, those voices were squashed. And so I have some real issues with that side of it, because we never have to be afraid of speech. We never have to be afraid of it. 
So what you're saying is that the broad brush, brush with which she painted women in the 70s, which we kind of have to do when we're talking about history. We all have individual stories, but you've got to kind of broad brush it. But there was there were women in the movement that were like, hey, that's not right. Is that true? Yeah, there was actually quite a few Mormon women who were not, you know, supportive of this attempt to squash it. They, they wanted it. And so is that kind of the same the group that was, sorry, go ahead. Uh, they were definitely the minority, but you know, this notion that Mormon women are just political and are always activate, you know, active in political circles is such, some, such a misnomer. Cause that's not my experience. I mean, most of them don't even talk about politics or have strong opinions one way or the other. And so, um, you know, they do tend to get organized when asked by somebody in authority to do something. But mm -hmm. um, my guess is it was a very small percentage of the women in the church were actively doing anything at all. Right. I wonder how I wonder how it would compare to the women who were doing who were actively working on that issue outside of the church. Right. Like just everyday women who were either non-denominational or Catholic or whatever. It well, was. there was there was definitely a group and I think it was tied to Phyllis Schlafly's Eagle Forum that were active against it. And then they galvanized and, and kind of partnered with other people of other faith and other people who wanted this to stop. And, um, and they stopped it. And, you know, Phyllis Schlafly is one of my personal heroes. And, and I, I received her newsletter from Eagle Forum for years. And I, I think some of the work she did was good. I, I just part company on the ERA. So can you, uh, so this is, so one of the, I mean, obviously there were many reasons I wanted to talk to you about this, but I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious and I very much appreciate you sharing because at the outset you, I'm sure that your experience is, is still that people back away from you when you start to talk in ways that make them uncomfortable. And I think it's important that we all try to have open minds and listen to what people have to say with an open heart and curiosity because we're going to have to work together on some stuff. It's just the way that it is. That's right. Personally, I that think you have right. a very, you're a charming person and you're smart and you have good history. And I, the things that, that we disagree on isn't because you don't have the right facts, whatever right facts means, but you know, we share similar facts, right? It's not like you're getting the information wrong. You're coming to a different decision based on your life experience than, than I would based on my, my life experience doesn't mean necessarily think, that we I can't find ways through. Yeah. And I think where so many of us have the big divisions is on solutions. You know, I have very different solutions for really bad problems in our nation than, than probably anybody I know, but I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and researching it. And so my solutions are, a little bit outside of the box of normal political discourse. And especially when it comes to women's issues and uh, family issues, I don't think the federal government is the answer to everything that ails us. And so, you know, I've spoken passionately about that here on Colin. I've certainly written about it for years, but um, I just don't think government money is, you know, is everything that the, the left in particular claims it can be. So I'm going to put forward 
a theory that I have about why that might be that people on the left, and I'm going to make some broad generalizations here, so please don't get all upset because I just am, I want to explore this a little bit. So, and I'm saying that not to you, but to the people listening, Jenny, because I really don't want to, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not after you. So, um, so I'm just, when it comes to, uh, this is what happens when I do disclaimers. I, I don't, I'm a woman of a certain age. Sometimes I get brain fog. Sorry. Look, Amanda, push as hard as you want. I can take it. I, I appreciate that, but I also think that it's it's okay when we disagree to not have things get difficult. But yeah. one of the things that I'm curious about, so so based on the very limited experience I have with um, the LDS Church, and and the fact that I don't think a whole lot of people know much more than Book of Mormon and a few other little tidbits. Um, what's the thing you think people get most wrong about women in the LDS church? Well, we are having a moment right now in the media. There's been an unusually large uh, group of, of documentaries and television shows uh, trying to describe my people. And so it's, I've watched all of them, and it's been fascinating to just observe. I haven't seen the Book of Mormon musical, but I have listened to the soundtrack to it, and I was frankly horrified by some of the songs. But <laughs> it, is very, it is very entertaining. Um, well, I, th think, I think South Park tries to horrify people for, you know, <laughs> for what it's worth. <laughs> it, is, it is ironic that that musical is doing so well. I mean, it's a traveling show. It's everywhere. So, um, and I'm music, I'm all about musical theater. So I love the musical theater side of it, but, um, I, I don't know. I, I guess the thing that's the most stereotypical is that we're just absolutely controlled by our husbands and fathers and we don't have a voice and, um, you know, anybody who spent any time with Mormon women would laugh at that because these are some opinionated gals and, um, do you find that, um, would you call yourself a feminist? No, I, I could never do that. Okay. Can you tell me why? I'm just curious. There is so much human wreckage in the terms of divorces and brokenhearted children laying in the wake of feminism that I just cannot affiliate. I'm an anti-feminist, an ardent anti-feminist. Okay, so that's a road that I'm gonna I'm going to steer away from because I think we could have a good discussion on it, but I want to stick to the ERA, and I appreciate that take because because I'm I'm still not I'm I'm a person I don't particularly care for labels, and if you were gonna push me, I'd rather say that I was a humanist than a feminist. Yeah. Um, because I do believe in equality. And I think that between the things that I've heard from you in over the last few months in, on call-in that I found of interest were were your anti-war stance and your and your equality stance. Do you think that the that that reflects? I mean, you, the reason I'm kind of I'm asking you to kind of represent your faith here, and that's not really fair of me. But I, I'm curious what places there might be. Um, intersections between the kinds of things that we find critical to getting done in this country to make it a better place to live 
And how can we try and do that? Part of that is having conversations with people that we're not even sure how to have a good conversation. Yeah. Well, it's tricky. I mean, there are definitely Mormon feminists and they're outspoken and I love them for their spirit. And they're, so many of them are just the smartest people in our midst. You know, I think of some of my own daughters and daughters-in-law. And, you know, these are women who know what they want and they're out there getting it. And uh, that spirit, you know, comes from their generation just being brought up, assuming that this is how it's going to be. They don't need to ask permission from anybody to do anything because it's just assumed that this is what they're going to do. They're politically engaged. And these are the women mm-hmm. I know best in my own family, in my own family, but th- their peers are very similar. And um, so I, I think in describing, you know, just how Mormon women are, they have basically taken education by storm and kate's a good example of that just went out got her law degree she you know is active in her community there's many women like her and so to stereotype us as just that quiet stay-at-home mom who never voices an opinion um many many people would look at me and say oh that's you know just that stay-at-home mom and she doesn't have a life and it's like you don't know anything about me you know don't stereotype me i have decided opinions on many issues but um, yeah. I, I love the idea of us partnering to do good things together. And, and my work is all about babies and families and childbirth and education. And so I'm, I'm decidedly focused on the family. And whenever I talk about family issues, there's always that random Mormon woman who pops up and is like, I can't have children. What about me? Where do I fit? And I'm like, I, my heart aches for that woman because I don't want her to feel left out. I don't want her to feel like she's kicked to the curb and marginalized, but my personal work is focused on children. And so, you know, you're going to hear a lot about that from me. Well, that's, that's entirely, that's entirely fair. And, and I think that we almost could not be more opposite if we tried, since I am, um, I am a member of the Unitarian Universalist community in Cambria. And I do not have children. I did not want to have children. My husband and I decided not to have children, and I'm happy with that decision. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset if somebody called me a feminist, but I'd probably correct them to humanist. Not because I don't think that women are that women don't need it, you know, to have equality, but because I choose to focus not on the division, but the, the things that make us similar. I love your faith. My son-in-law's mom is part of the Unity Church in Boulder. And so I've gotten to know her and other people from that church. And they're wonderful people. That's awesome. Unity is different from the Unitarian Universalists. I think it is Unitarian. I think it is Unitarian. Okay. Because Unitarian Universalists is a, a broader... I mean, the community I belong to didn't have a full-time pastor. We had lay-led services, and that was part of why I liked to join it, liked becoming part of that group, because there were a lot of different topics that were covered and a lot of different faiths of people that showed up on every Sunday to gather in spirituality in search of meaning. Honestly, that's one of the features of my faith that I love the most. There's no paid clergy. There is a bishop, but he all they always have another job that provides them with a living. They're not getting money from the church mm. to do the work that they do. 
And our mm-hmm. Sunday services are not sermons from the bishop. They are generally a testimony meeting, which is the first uh, Sunday of the month where we have a fast day. We fast two meals and then we um, have testimony. Anybody can go up and bear testimony, even the children. And then the other services, the rest of the, the month, they have a youth speaker or two, one or two youth speakers, and then two adults, and then a musical number. And people are given a topic, but again, they're not told what to say. You're mm-hmm. expected to pray and think it through and do some research and then come up with your own sermon. We call them talks. And that is our Sunday Sunday service. It's very much from the congregation. I thought I thought about what I, I had forgotten when I gave too much long disclaimer. So so you talked about that you're you don't necessarily think the government has all the solutions. And and so my theory is people who are and have been members of, of a strong community, whether it's a church community or some other, whether you call it a club or a group or a team, that 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 these are these kinds of organizations when you kind of grow up in and around them and, and spend your life in them, you have a safety net. I remember when my husband died, I was so glad I had joined the Unitarian Universalist because that's who helped me get everything taken care of when he died. That's where I had his his celebration of life. And it was a relief to know that when stuff went sideways, there were going to be people that were not going to judge me. They were just going to be there for me. Now, government will never be yeah, but- that, but people who don't grow up in a, in a community, whether it's a church religious community or some other kind of community, don't have that kind of cushion. And I think that's that partly the secularism is, is trying to meet those extended needs that go beyond just a family unit kind of need. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I do agree that when someone is outside of those circles, life is almost immediately more difficult, whether you're an outlier from your own family or you're an orphan or you're just not part of a group, life becomes very challenging. There's no question. One of the things I love the most about the baptismal covenant that we enter into as Mormons is that it's literally that we promise to bear one another's burdens, mourn with those that mourn, comfort those that stand in need of comfort. This is part of what we're entering into when we get baptized. And then every Sunday when we partake of the sacrament, our baptismal covenants are renewed and it's like getting rebaptized. And so every week, faithful Mormons are making that additional covenant to watch out for each other, to take care of each other. And that's why you see this tremendous outreach into the community with Mormon Helping Hands. I don't know if you know about this group, but it's it's a group that goes into places where there have been natural disasters and and problems and, and they help with cleanup and they do it for free and they do it because they want to be of service. And so I love that side of my faith that is incredibly practical. What is the name of it again? Mormon Helping Hands, or they may Mormon have changed. Helping Hands. They may have Something like that. The they may have changed the okay. name of that just because they're trying to get away from Mormons. That's what it used to be called. 
I hear you. I hear you. And again, I totally appreciate your openness and you haven't asked me anything, but I'm really appreciate you giving me your, your takes on this on the ERA. Have you looked at any of the what's happening currently, or do you have any takes on what's happening or any stories you'd like to tell about ERA or. I um, read the first part of Kate's book. I haven't read the whole thing. It just came out this year, I think. And um, it's a solid history on uh, what's currently happening legislatively. I don't know that she's right that if it's just signed off on uh, that it'll that'll become an amendment to the Constitution. I think it is important that the lower court and perhaps even the Supreme Court sign off on it, you know, so that it's it's solid and it's not just wishful thinking. I do sense that there's a little bit of wishful thinking on the part of her and the people who are trying to get it passed, that perhaps all that foundational work that was done in the 70s is still legitimate today. I don't know. I'm not a legal scholar, but I do think we would benefit from having it. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't object to it. You think it's probably a good idea. Well, I'm not right. so much on the abortion. I'm not so much on the abortion side of things, although I do have a more liberal position on abortion than perhaps most Christians. But I I am really concerned about parental rights around childbirth. And there I hear has, you. There has been a whole campaign to abolish home birth. It's been going on on the internet since at least 2007. Well, where, they're trying to commodify everything. Absolutely. And and those dollars tied to the mom's womb when she goes to the hospital, you right. know, are are significant. And then if the baby ends up in the NICU, that, that is just the never ending source of, of cash for everyone. And so I'm deeply concerned about the efforts to shut down home birth. I'm a promoter of what's called husband and wife childbirth, where the husband and wife do the birth alone, do their own prenatal care. We did this with our last two sons. Mm -hmm. And um, I have been an advocate and an educator for this type of birth since like 1989 when I became a Bradley childbirth teacher. So I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about people having their freedoms, self-determination taken away from them by a busybody nanny state that says, Oh, Young parents, you are too stupid, gullible, uh, not educated to, to have this baby yourself. We need to step in and protect the baby. The most chilling words currently going in the culture to me are medical neglect. Have you heard this term? Yeah, I have. I have. And, and I kind of don't think that the ERA is going to automatically put us in a place where abortion will be legal and other things will be eliminated. But I think the ERA could also protect the birthing at home situation, just like, well, but it'll all have to go up through the courts. But if it's not in the constitution, then it can't be, you know, then there's nothing there to measure an, it against. There is an army of feminists who have publicly declared that if the federal government goes after unassisted birthers, the volcanoes of hell are going to erupt because they feel so passionate about women having autonomy over their bodies. And I I love these women for their passion and their clarity that if the government doctors, medical associations can compel everyone to go to the hospital and have a surgical and 
medicated birth, then, then freedom is dead. It's absolutely dead in America. So yeah. I don't know that the ERA would cover this. I would love to see an amendment to the Constitution that allowed for freedom around medical issues the way we have freedom for religious issues. And so I've been agitating for that myself for decades. But um, that's, I'd love to that's, think that's that an the interesting could, take. Well, that's I'd love to think that the ERA could. Yeah, could, what, how would it be if the ERA could kind of cover that? We don't even need to bother with it because we recognize that equality means, you know, I not only right. have the right and privilege to make these decisions for and in behalf of my own family, but I, I'm guaranteed that nobody is ever going to come in and try to prosecute me or litigate against me should something go wrong. Sometimes things do go wrong for the mom and the baby. And does right. a mom need to be brought up on charges of manslaughter or murder one or murder two if she has a baby and it happens to die? Well, nobody ever questions no. all those dead babies in the hospital from too many drugs or over overly cut up moms with surgeries, you know. But man, if a baby dies during a home birth, those parents, well, lock them up. These are the things that I am often forced to think about because of the circles that I run in. I hear you. Um, we are taking calls. If anybody would like to call in, if you have a question for me or Jenny, um, this is going to be a fairly short show because Jenny was nice enough to come on. She's got a show starting tomorrow. You want to tell us a little bit about the show or not? It's up to you. Well, as you can imagine, my show is dedicated to parental rights. Again, my passion, my hobby. Uh, it's just going to be called the Jenny Hatch show and we'll talk about everything. And I'm particularly focused on medical rights and education rights and parents being sovereign to not only uh, choose whether or not to give birth at home or whether or not to vaccinate or give antibiotics, but also that they have complete autonomy around medical decisions for their kids. If a child comes up with cancer, are they going to be forced to go to the hospital to get chemo or are the parents going to be supported in searching out for some alternative healing therapies? or other things they can do to help with that cancer. You know, there are parents who have had their children taken away when they did not yep. agree with the medical decisions. And then of course, education issues are very important. And I believe parents should have, again, so much choice over where their kids go to school, especially in the inner cities. I, I'm very much into, uh, you know, the charter school movement and letting, letting parents decide where their kids will go, even if it's a private school. And so uh, we'll talk about that. And then I, I'm a musician. I'm a singer. I love to share my covers of songs. And each of my shows will start with a little devotional that includes some prayer and a scripture and a little bit of music. And then we'll, we'll dive into the issues of the day. So starting tomorrow, Monday through Friday here, I'm calling. Thank you for letting me plug that. Absolutely. Rudy, welcome. Hey, what's up, Amanda? Tell us what's How you on doing? your mind. I'm pretty good. Good morning. Um, yeah, so I was calling because um, I had a question, you know. I sort of felt um, what you said, Jenny, about um, not, about sort of being forced to have to think about what's, what happens if there is something tragic when somebody's at home and doing something that 
people have done for um, thousands of years versus, you know, what hospitals don't necessarily have to deal with, or at least the type of scrutiny um, coming from like regular people like us. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I definitely feel that. Um, and then also the other thing I also felt was the wanting people to be supported, um, when, you know, they're looking for alternative medicine and alternative choices. I was, I was wondering, like, I don't know, whenever I hear that, I think let's create a support system. Let's create, and then how do we do that? But through, you know, the support system that we have right now, which is sort of the government, you know, however small or big you want to say. I suppose you, um, being that you're not a big fan of the government, um, who, what, what is, what kind of support system are you hoping for? And then, like, I guess, how are you? hoping to get the support system? Are you hoping people join you? Are you hoping, you know, that this could be organized again in the government? Or how how are you trying to get this? Uh, the support system is already in place. And if you will, I'm going to put a link in the chat that's the resources. Uh, I believe in peer mentoring, moms teaching moms. And to that end, have supported many of the organizations that I've linked to. It's, it's going into the chat right now. Um, just in terms of childbirth and alternative healing, there have been midwives and other childbirth educators who have set up private organizations where you can meet with other women who are doing similar things. And then there are several groups, Indie Birth, uh, the Amani Birth, Free Birth, um, education, uh, what, what are they called? Free birth society. And these women are sometimes charging money up to like $400, $1,000 for a course. Some of it's free. They have conferences online and in person. And we recognize that the education establishment has no financial incentive to teach the things that we believe are important. And so we have largely bypassed that system and set up these other infrastructures online, which interestingly enough, during COVID, when a lot of women were for the first time thinking about home births, these organizations just grew exponentially as moms were compelled to say, I don't want to go to the hospital where everybody's sick. I want to do this at home. And here's this infrastructure in place. And it has been, in place, been put in place by just hundreds of moms and dads who feel passionate about mentoring anybody who's interested. So it's already there. Uh, Amanda, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead, Rudy. I'm I'm wondering. It, it sounds nice, right? Uh, are you finding any limitations, like, or are you finding that you guys are easy, like, you're able to just receive these people? I'm just wondering how, you know, if it can be expanded, if it can be made, you know, for all women, or is this just like some sort of niche thing for women who have time and who have, you I know. think the biggest problem over the years has been the squashing 
that has come from social media. Facebook thrust all these groups off their platform at one point. In 2007, there was a wholesale campaign in the mainstream media to shut down free birth. I was part of that. There, there were articles written calling for us to be arrested. Around the world, certain fathers have been arrested for practicing medicine without a license and are currently in prison for that. There was a pretty visible case in Australia of a mother whose baby died and her own birth video was used in court as evidence against her. And she did not go to prison, but she was brought up on manslaughter charges and given a you know probationary term. But just the indignation and the media coverage of that thing held her up to international scorn that I felt was so sick. So the, the, the people coming against us on the internet and in other places all have been tied to the medical, uh, I hate to use the word mafia, but that's what I use, medical mafia, the pharmaceutical companies, um, the doctors, uh, obstetric societies that have just come out and condemned us. And, you know, all of us collectively have just flipped them off and continued on with our work. So, so. can I ask a, a kind of harder question? And it's kind of around abortion, which is, you know, intricately related to the ERA. You just can't un, untether them since it's about women. Because um, it, 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 I'm he, what I'm hearing you say is something similar to, to the, I think it's how the bodily autonomy language came up around abortion. So like when women go to a clinic that provides abortions, even if they're not going for an abortion, there might be picketers outside telling her how awful she is for going to the, have this medical procedure, which she may not even be going to have. But I mean, do you see there, there's a parallel there? I mean, I understand it's different, but do you see there could be a parallel thinking in that? Oh, Absolutely. And I, like I said, I'm a little bit more liberal in my abortion views than I think your average Christian. And the problematic sides of abortion to me come in the late-term abortions when these yeah. fetuses are being used for certain individuals to make lots and lots of money. Their body parts are being sold, hearts, livers, kidneys. I just think, you know, this side of it is so sick to me. And especially for the young mom's who perhaps feel bullied into getting these late-term abortions when perhaps they'd like to go ahead and just carry the baby to term and give it up for adoption or raise it themselves. There is that dynamic. So I'm really troubled by, you know, abortions that take place past 20 weeks. But, you know, it, I don't know that there's easy solutions for well, you know, coming I'm, to I'm a meeting of the minds. I'm really troubled by the fact that somebody who's over the age of 80 is being prescribed Viagra. So that's none of my business either. I mean, I don't want anybody to have to go through anything medically they don't have to go through. But I find I, I, I have a hard time when there is a lot of coercion. And I also don't want to get into, you know, because anecdote is not singular for data, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a, and, and, and it's helpful for understanding an issue, but also it ha we all have to remember, even though there's individual issues, if we're going to put a policy in place. It's going to fuck with somebody. It just is. There's no way to make a policy that everybody's happy with. 
It's just it's not true, possible. but I would err on the side of freedom. I would err on the side of parental rights. The parents are the ones who have to live with the long-term consequences. I'm sorry, they at my apartment complex, they mow the lawn every Wednesday morning. Oh. So they're out there. <laughs> well, you can hear the bugs. I can't too much, but we are at an hour, uh, or 45 minutes, and I do want to respect your time. I think one of the things that I find so interesting is because it is, there are so many ins and outs and details that make all of this hard to just kind of generalize across, across a bunch of stuff. But the fact that, that we can't get our Congress to even agree to add an amendment that's been approved by 38 states is a little bit bonkers and frustrating for me as a American who is subject to the Constitution, what's left of it. I think also, I, I just want to urge, urge you, Jenny, to remember that not everybody has something wrapped around them, a community wrapped around them, like you, like you have as a built-in community. And you're choosing, obviously, to still be in that community. But I'm just, I, I think that when we say, when we say freedom without having any, with, there's a lot of people that don't have the kind of, um, the ability to, to take advantage of those freedoms because they also don't see that community is important too. Because we do need each other, all well, of us. I'll tell you, it's an anecdote, but my sister-in-law was pregnant with my nephew and my brother died of a drug overdose I'm so and she was at a cross, she was at a crossroads, you know, am I going to have an abortion or am I going to have this baby? And she made the very difficult decision to go ahead and give birth to her son. And as I've observed her the past 20 years provide for her son, and she's not part of any real group, I guess her AA group would be her family at this point. Um, I have watched the way that she, just put everything on the line to take care of this baby. And she said to me one time when he was a teenager, can you believe that I, I honestly thought about not having him here, you know? And I think about her often and the blessing of that baby in her life. And so I think it's wrong for us to presume that if a mom is a single mother or doesn't have a church group or whatever, that things are going to be bad for her, that that baby will be the worst thing in her life. When she's told me he's been the greatest blessing, the greatest joy. And so I think so many women cut themselves off from this potential joy because, again, they're kind of bullied. Oh, there's no way you can do it as a single mom. There's no way you can make it. And it's just going to be a burden. And it's like, maybe not, you know, maybe not. Can I can I say that the thing is, I so my thing is I want the freedom for everybody to choose, right? I don't think it should be freedom one way. I I don't want to presume that this lady can handle having a child, and I don't want to presume that this lady cannot handle the child. I want to have access, because this is a medical thing. Again, it is, it is a medical issue, abort abortions. And I think it's crazy. It, I think it's crazier to sort of assume or presume that there are people out there that like having abortion. I, I, my point of view is that people abhor abortions for the most part, and it is the it is a very difficult thing to have to choose to have an abortion. Uh, 
So being that, you know, so I would imagine that the person came to the conclusion of an abortion or not an abortion um, because, you know, they're an adult and I don't want to presume anything. Um, but I think to close the option of an abortion uh, as a uh, sort of like as a as a solution to a health problem is it's not right. I, you know, and the other thing, too, is it's it's the same thing with the schools. You know, I it is we've had the choice of educating your child if you could. Um, we've had the choice of getting together in a community and educating your children together. But that really did not take us very far. What really took us far in the United States was opening public schools for everybody to go to because we saw that when people, um, you know, when we didn't have a government providing this public good, we had people that would discriminate against other people and so we just, and, you know, we we did better when we had such a system. Um, other other countries that are doing better, the, that are doing the best, are countries that have taken that even further, like Finland, who have completely abolished, um, what's it called, private, uh, what's it called, uh, private schools. Um, it's, uh, but again, um I, I think know. part I, of what I, I think that. part of what happens in this country is we don't have we ha don't have conversations about what's our shared national interest in funding these things. What is the shared interest in having a community-based schooling system? Frankly, COVID was the biggest missed opportunity to revamp a system that clearly is not working. Hello, has anybody seen our schools recently? Even the good ones suck. <laughs> yeah. Why are we still doing the factory model of education? So I'm not, I'm not yeah. against having charter schools or outside the box thinking about this because this culture doesn't value learning. It doesn't value educators. It doesn't value education in ways that I think are important. And obviously, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just one person, but we I'm need to have guess. these bigger conversations because otherwise we don't we don't know where we're going. So we'll just end up wherever we end up. I am not against public schooling either. I believe the schools can be renewed and reformed. I believe our universities can do a better job of educating our young people. I would love to see a plurality of ideological views shared on our campuses. There is so much of one-sidedness in terms of teaching our young people just one way to look at things to the point where if they hear another idea, they melt down and they can't handle it. And they, you know, what was your escape. experience? What was your experience at BYU? Cause my, my general assumption is that it's a fairly homogenous. I mean, less, this, less than other universities, but maybe I'm wrong. The student code is very strict. We're not allowed to party, no drinking. If you get caught doing that, you have to sign a code because it's a private school. And if you break the code, then they do expel people. And so the standards are high in terms of personal grooming. Men aren't allowed to have facial hair and can't wear sandals around campus. You have to wear socks. There's, um, you know, just really strict rules about 
behavior, but they're also really high standards for cheating. Like for example, if you get caught cheating, you get expelled. My son's actually an, a teacher at University of Michigan and told me that, you know, they've catch, catch people cheating and they don't expel them. And he was shocked to realize he did his undergrad at BYU, Idaho. Anyway, I, I found BYU to be a wonderful place to go to school for a year. I was only there for two summers and then two semesters during 1987. I studied musical theater. The theater arts in Utah are some of the best in the world. And so I was able to work with some really gifted people, met wonderful friends, loved my classes, and, you know, have nothing but positive things to say about that campus. Despite, Did you find there was a diversity of ideas there? Uh, there were definitely more liberal, progressive type people. You saw that with the underground newspaper. There was the student newspaper, and then there was this underground newspaper, also written by students, that was actually quite funny. They used a lot of humor and satire to kind of poke poke the bear at certain. But that also things. that that also kind of points to that it was the that that that's not the main that's not the mainstream. So that's kind of like the not not as uh, not as many people do that. So that's not as okay. It's underground. It's not as you know acceptable. Yeah, it's definitely a very homogenous place where. Most of the people are, are Mormon, and uh, the ones who are there who are taking it seriously follow the honor code. My, some of my roommates were some of the most straight-laced. I mean, some of these girls had never been kissed and mm -hmm. were saving everything for marriage. And I was really impressed with their morals. But I did have a roommate who was a card-carrying socialist who came from Toronto and her dad was high up in the Canadian government, and she was a Marxist. And so mm. I learned a lot from her. I had no clue that um, Canadian people were so interested in American politics. It was Ronald Reagan. <laughs> he, was the president. he was president that year. She hated him. And I was like, uh -huh. do I even know who the, who the president of Canada is? Do I care? You know, I was like, right. why is she so interested in American politics? Interestingly enough, she just got hired by the Department of Ed to be one of their attorneys. And so Interesting. Um, here's this Mormon Marxist feminist who spent her whole career fighting for justice for sexual abuse survivors. And she's now working at the Department of Ed as an attorney. So I would say that was some good diversity, wouldn't you? I, I would. And, and, and I, but I, I also think that, you know, not, ev not everybody can have a good Marxist friend in, in, in the years when it would actually help us understand and make a difference, you know? So, I mean, not everybody can have the life experience that you and I have had, you know, because <laughs> otherwise everybody well, would think she, the way that we think, right? <laughs> she definitely expanded my thinking and she That's was fantastic. She was a faithful Mormon and I think kept the honor code. And I know she, she wasn't out sleeping around, you know, and, and having lots of boyfriends. So, you know, she kind of followed the, the moral side of it too. But um, I just think there's a lot more diversity in my faith politically than people really realize. I mean, Harry Reid was a Mormon. Yeah. Orrin Hatch was too. And these guys were polar opposites politically. And so there is this, I think the more educated, more, the more degrees I've noticed, the more degrees people have, the more they tend to be socialists, Marxists, Mormons. But, um, you know. I see. That's interesting. But, yeah. So, interesting. Harry Reid, 
what would you say Harry Reid's education was? Because he wasn't he wasn't a socialist or a Marxist or any of that. No, he was definitely establishment, but he he presented himself as you know a a Democrat and and definitely more into welfare programs than Orrin Hatch, for example. Um, can I say something, Jenny? Like the thing is, there are, there are things that I want that I'm that I want so badly that I'm willing to sort of overlook certain things in potential sort of allies, you know, this word ally again. Um, so like when you're, when you're listening to leftists, right? Do you ever think, man, we, we agree so much on this that I'm willing to bypass this other disagreement that I have with them. And like, what is it that is for like for me uh i have sometimes it's easy i suppose to tell you the red line but maybe you have an example of things that you are often willing to like just look the other way that you don't necessarily agree on like i i, I think sir there's a lot of again i'll say this there's a lot of sort of weird low-key racist stuff that i hear from many allies on the left but definitely people on the right that like vlad and i would be talking and he would just say some things that i'm just like well let me just let it go you know just doesn't um so like what what do you, what do you look at with leftists that you're like man we agree so much on this and so yeah you go well it helps me to think of other people as my brothers and sisters and i do i think we're one human family and even someone who's completely corrupted or troubled or is lost in sin or addictions i don't think of them as being less than me i think of them as my brother or sister and so i don't have some line that says okay if you believe in this or you engage in this behavior i can never talk to you or i can never be friends with you i don't feel that way I've experienced much more discrimination on the other side that when people found out I was an anti-feminist or a conservative or a Trump supporter, they didn't want to have anything to do with me. And so, you know, I, I don't know that that line is, is anywhere around me. I am big hearted. I love all people. I do harbor some bigotry against Mormons who are fakers, who pretend to be good members of the church. Sorry if you can hear that lawnmower. It's right outside my window who pretend to be good members of the church, but they're really faking it. And I think those people do a lot of damage in my faith, especially to the young people, because they can feel the hypocrisy. And so I don't have a lot of patience with them. But your average card-carrying yeah. communist who just loves the environment, who you know perhaps is living an alternative lifestyle, or you know, I don't have any issue with anybody. I really don't. I have friends all over the place. Hmm. Um, then th this is, so um, I can only speak for myself, right? Um, Trump voters, uh, just because you're a Trump voter doesn't turn me off, right? Um, I often ask them why they vote but for I don't, Trump. I don't want to, I don't want to get off on a side Go. tangent. I want to stay on the ERA. Go ahead. My bad, my bad, my bad. Sorry. Um. Because yes, it's not about who we voted for. We're talking about equal under the law and constitution. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, it's I'm a not... hard thing. It's hard to understand how people would vote for somebody that seems like to me, like, oh my gosh, how could you do that? But I know people that I love that voted for him, and it's just not a useful conversation because it's history. Can I share with you guys one thing that's really on my heart? Please. I believe when the Bible passed through the Catholic Church, it was changed, and that there were plain and precious parts of it that were taken out of the record. It's my personal take. I have never read this anywhere, but it's my personal belief that what they took out of the Bible were the women's stories. And the women's books, you know, you have the book of Isaiah and the book of Matthew. Where were the books of Mary? We know that some of these texts were written because we found them, you know, in various mm-hmm. places around the world. Why were they taken out of the Bible? Who, who made that decision? Mm-hmm. And, what, and did they con- what did they contain? So that's What the do you first think thing. they contain? I think they contain information about how to raise a healthy kid. How to come up with some righteous children, how to how to educate children, how to live free and with peace and have peace towards our neighbors. Um, in the Book of Mormon, there's a section where uh, the person trans. The Book of Mormon is a series of books that were ab- abridged by one of our prophets, and at one point he wanted to share some precious things that Jesus Christ had taught the people after he came to the Americas. And the Holy Spirit said, nope, I don't want you to put those things in. He's like, why not? This is really going to help the people. He said, I want to try the faith of my people by not giving them that information. So my whole life, 54 years, I've been asking myself, what what was he going to share with us that would have helped us? What was he going to share that would have made life better and more abundant and healthier? I personally think it was probably recipes for cooking food and cooking it the most nutritious way and teaching young families how to raise their kids holistically so they could come up with some kids who are healthier and more centered. You know, there's a doctor named William Sears who wrote all these great books. And he he had over like 10,000 children come through his pediatric practice. He teaches what's called attachment parenting. And he said to a person, all these kids who've come through my practice, when they are attached, attachment parented, we have never come up with a bully. There's something about this style of parenting that diffuses it and makes it so the kids don't feel the need to bully their peers. And we see that these children who are raised that way flip and they want to help and they reach out to people who are hurting and they want to stand up for the person who's suffering. So there's something in that parenting style that has a gentling effect on children and on their personality and their behavior. These are the treasures that I personally think were stolen, purged, out of the scriptures and I would like for them to come back and and be available for all of us to read I think that's also a very wonderful thought experiment just from the point of view of what is it that's missing that could make life better and whether it comes from missing books from the bible that were excised by the catholic church which I don't have a hard time believing (laughs) I mean just reality but also but also that we could be asking what what isn't here instead of asking what's wrong with what is here, but what isn't here that, that would make what is here better. Yeah, and we're so willing in 21st century America especially, but around the world to think, oh my gosh, we've reached the pinnacle of human development. No, we've we learned haven't. everything there is yeah. to know. 
well, maybe the ancients had some things to teach us that would really help us in our individual lives. And maybe we yeah. just kind of lost the forest for the trees and our mad rush to science and technology. And we've lost some of our humanity along the way. That's my biggest issue with technocratic birth. You know, it's like the mom is not even giving birth. She's just there to be an incubator. And then she's handed this baby that perhaps is drugged and is not doing so well. And she's trying to recover from major surgery and perhaps has experienced some traumatic feelings. And, oh, now go bond with your baby. You know, that creates right. some problems for a lot of women. Right. I totally appreciate that. And I appreciate how passionate you are around children. And, and I always said when I taught high school, whenever I met an elementary school teacher, God bless you, I would never go into a room with 30 people under the age, under, that are shorter than me, because I'm like 5'4", so I'm not that big, right? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want that in my life. Somebody else is really good at that, let them do it. I'm very glad that you're good at what you do, because we need everybody to be doing everything. Just because I'm not a person that that's my thing doesn't mean that it's not important. I, I want to respect well, your time. We've been here for about an hour. And what I do want to do is I want to give a little wrap up, but I want to give you a chance to, to respond first. We can't proceed to better places without giving a nod. I'm not even saying we have to deconstruct it, but we have to give a nod to where there have been problems and where these problems stem from. What sort of thinking, what sort of ideology has led to these problems, this destruction of the family. And then we need to systematically go back and fix it. And like I said, there are thousands and thousands of families doing the work, the daily work of raising their children in a holistic way. And that doesn't mean Mormon. That doesn't mean a particular religion. It just means they recognize the value of parents being uniquely involved in their children's lives. And so they're doing that work that, like I said to to um, our friend, oh, what's his name? The networks have been set up. It's going. The parents just have to have the desire themselves to, to step out and get educated. And if they'll do that, the joy that you can reach in family life, when all of your children have been born holistically and are being nurtured with real food and not needlessly drugged, the joy is almost unpalpable, impalpable. Conversely, the nightmare that some parents experience with sickly kids, kids who are crazy, psychotic, manic, colic, suffering from colic, some of these parents are, they want to give their kids up for adoption because it's so hard. Nobody told me it was going to feel like this. And my, my heart is there's solutions. There's real solutions. And again, they don't have to do with government money or government interference. It really starts with that mom saying, I'm going to own my life. So thank you again, Amanda, for letting me have a platform to share these things. They're literally the source of what keeps me getting up out of bed every day. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad too. And, and I, I, I think we're just having a conversation. It's not necessarily a platform. I think we're having a conversation. I wanted to learn more about you and, and your viewpoint. And I, I appreciate that um, people that, that, show up with you in the same building on Sundays are not all identical to each other, just like all the people that show up 
when I have a party are not identical to each other because what a boring world that would be if everybody was the same. But I, I really appreciate your thoughtfulness to, to subjects and having conversations with people that, that at, at baseline sometimes we just don't agree. I, I, you, you have a skill at it. Well, I, like I said, I appreciate your big heartedness too for just letting me talk. So often I, I'm just kicked out of the forum. It's been really sad. Hey, women got to stick together, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, humans got to stick together is what it is. <laughs> we got to stop fighting each other. Because the bottom line is there's only one planet and this is the one we got. So we got to stop being ridiculous people and start being smarter people. Yeah, I just... I, I'm, not, not, I'm not truly anti-war. I do think there's times when it's appropriate to have a military intervention, but I would like for the war on family, on the family to be directly confronted and dealt with because it's a real war with real casualties. And, you know, if the economy is being run on the broken wombs of the women of America, then I think we should fix that. A hundred percent the case. I can't agree enough with that there are i want to just briefly as we wrap up and you don't need to stay if you don't if you've got some place to be because i appreciate you we've already been here an hour but um i just want to quickly go over i i updated the the congressional races spread google sheets that i have set up for crowdsourcing the revolution and i updated it with all of the various um there's five different categories from the elect equality, which is the ERA coalition website that does certifying of candidates. And there are, there are five different levels. There's ERA certified, meaning they like looked at you, looked at all your website, looked at everything, all your history. And they decided that you are definitely support the ERA. You're talking about it. You're doing the work. Then there's, a category that's from publicly available information, this person appears to be in support of the ERA. So that's just like kind of we're inferring from all of the public things, newspaper stories and websites that this person is supportive of the ERA. So that's another level. There's also a level where a candidate could fill out a questionnaire and send it back to the ERA coalition. And if they are found to be for the ERA based on that questionnaire, they get a different level. So I think that the levels, it's the ERA certified is probably the highest level. And then the next level is if the candidate sent in the survey and they evaluated it, that's the next level. And then if publicly available information says they're for it, then they get a, that, that category. And then there's a publicly available information seems to say they are against it. And then there's, we just don't know. So I've added the ones specifically, I highlighted the ones that were candidates that filled out the survey, the ER. So, cause the candidate had to go to an extra step to go fill out the survey and send it back to the ERA coalition. So I highlighted those races and interestingly, there's actually even a couple of libertarians that have gotten the ERA 
they didn't get a ERA certified, but when they sent in their survey, they did get it. They did get a supports the ERA ranking. And one of them is in Idaho. He's a libertarian named Joe Evans. There's a libertarian in Indiana named Andrew Horning, who is also same, same deal. He sent in the, he's pro ERA based on the survey that he sent in to the ERA commission. And again, the reason I'm calling these folks out, these candidates out is because they went to, they took an extra step to get this certification. They didn't just wait for somebody to come to them. So also, uh, also having ERA, ERA positive, there's another, Sam Rankin in Montana is a libertarian who is, is um, been rated as supports the ERA. And there's a candidate in Nebraska for the legal, legal marijuana now party who is ERA supportive. And his name is Mark Elworth. He's in Nebraska's third. Libertarian in Nevada named Ken Kavanaugh. And let's see. Most of the folks that, that, um, that are either ERA certified or marked as supporters are Democratic. Most Republicans are, are either unknown or publicly available information says that they don't support. Um, Libertarian in South Dakota named Colin Duprell also did a survey with ERA so that he could get some recognition. And I'm just trying to see, I'm trying not to miss anybody because I think there was a Republican and I cannot remember which state. Um, libertarian Justin Graywolf in Washington State, in Washington's eighth, he didn't make it through the primary, but he he did. He's the only candidate when I reached out to candidates who were not Democrats or Republicans. He's the only candidate that I reached out to that actually got back to me, and he also um, filled out the the survey for ERA Coalition. So he was he's really trying to do some some work to get his name out there and trying to work with um, with groups of people that, that have interests that are not necessarily al always aligned with libertarian or Republican parties. So that's kind of the wrap up. The, the link for, I didn't put it in this description for today's show, but you can get the link to the Google Sheets for the congressional races, which I've been kept updating. Um, on my, uh, on any of the other shows of crowdsourcing the revolution. And it's clearly been an hour and 15 minutes because I'm starting to ramble. I appreciate you guys being here. Derek, you showed up late, my friend. I appreciate everybody being here and we do, and I will be, um, covering the, covering the candidates and slash about the ERA in which people have been um, rated by ERA coalition. And uh, just wanna let you know that September 28th is the date that the 
case is going to go in front of the D.C. District Court um, regarding whether or not the time expiration can be extended. And just yesterday, they posted the names of the judges that are going to be looking at the case. And, um, and so we'll be looking at some of those things and I'll go into more detail on that when we have our show, which the next show is going to be Saturday at 1215 Pacific time. So please join me then. Thanks Rudy for being here and asking questions. And I hope to see you guys either on Saturday or in someone else's show. I appreciate y'all being here.